0: Hey there, welcome to SaaS Unfound, season two, brought to you by SaaS Group, of course. I'm your host, Anna Dana, and this is the show where we chat with inspiring founders and experts to bring an inside scoop on how they made their business success. Today with me is Arun Srinivasan from uh, sites a no-code reporting platform tailored for performance marketing teams. They raised $40 million from Sequoia Capital and some other investors in 2021 and have been growing steadily since then. And of course, we're here to learn all about it. So welcome to the show, Arun.
1: Thank you, Anna. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Perfect. Well. Uh, First things first, you know, let's get to uh, your background a little bit. You know, where do you come from? How did you end up with Claricides in the first place?
1: Sure. Uh, it's actually interesting story. I, I come from India uh, and I, I grew up there, grew up in India. The story of Claricides is actually, it, it's a story about 12, 15 years in the making, I think. And, you know, it's, I started working at this company called Beven Sports in two thousand. And that's when my career started, got out of college, uh, someone I knew was working in, in this new thing called performance marketing, digital marketing, etc. And I said, okay, this, I liked advertising, liked advertising. My dad was in sales and marketing, and I used to help him while I was growing up. So I really enjoyed, enjoyed being, you know, in that part of, uh, um, and I said, okay, I want to do something in. In marketing or sales. So I actually during my college days, I used to do copywriting in ad agencies. So I used to work part time in ad agencies doing copywriting there. And so I got this new thing. They said, hey, this is not your traditional ads, this is online ads, it's very different. Do you want to be a do you want to come in and intern here? So I joined this company called Beaven Sports. They are publicly traded now in uh, in the UK. And yeah, I, I got to be a part of the digital marketing team right that is my first break into this and it it was a lot of fun i learned a lot the industry was new the company was growing very fast and this is also a lesson i I kind of tell people that you know if you get into an early stage uh, company where you don't have a lot of structures built out and the company is growing well it's absolutely fantastic because no one cares, no one has the time to tell you what to do and how to do things. And you get to experiment and you get to experiment because you know that Absolutely. the product is working and there is growth, right? And uh, and, and for me, that is great. I, I look back at that experience very fondly. It it whatever I learned there kind of set me to where I am today, right? Um, so yeah, I worked in digital advertising. I think I probably was. Uh, definitely one of the first, if not the first advertiser on Facebook. Um, I'd actually reached out to Mark Zuckerberg when he was building Facebook. He was still in the East Coast in in college and ended up working with Eduardo, uh, his co-founder back then, in, you know, running ads on Facebook back then. Meta, of course, now, but the Facebook. Um, yeah, so... Being exposed to digital marketing for a very long time and coming to, you know, clarifies on what, how we got here. Right. One of the problems that I faced back then, and I think it just progressively got worse over time was the way marketing teams work with data. It was, you know, you would usually just use spreadsheets for most of your daily reporting, where you would get cost data from different channels. How much did we get in revenue? map it to data that you would be getting from Google Analytics or something else, and then you had to collect that data yourself to figure out how effective you were with your, you know. And this is something I learned very early because the difference between traditional advertising and online marketing, for me, fundamentally, is the feedback loop. So just as a contrast, if you're running offline campaigns, the time that it takes before you test out an idea uh, until you see whether an idea is working or not is very long. It's going to take you a lot of time because there's a lot of prep time needed to actually run an offline marketing campaign, TV campaign, et cetera. And the results will take you a long time to see as well until the data goes live and then you get to see that. That is not the case with digital. Uh, get to test ideas very quickly, which means that you're constantly testing lots of ideas, right? Which means that your quality of reporting has to be very high. Um, and quick and this is not something that is very easy to do right and this idea this problem kept growing and I since then I worked at other companies and I think it was in 2014 is when I met my co-founder Ankur, Ankur Gupta um, and yeah so I stayed in digital marketing advertising all through my career right and I met Ankur Gupta. Ankur was a uh, you know, he started his career as one of the early engineers at Google, worked at, you know, building tech. He went to probably one of the best uh, engineering colleges from India, worked in the Bay Area for many years at Google. And then he came back and, you know, he and I started this company called AdWise. Now, AdWise was doing online ad optimization for Facebook and a couple of other things, right? Uh, and it was sometime... We got some traction, we grew the business, we hit operational break-even, but Ankur and I both kind of felt that this is not going to be the product that is going to really hit scale. And we felt that eventually this will become more of an agency business than a product and a SaaS company that we wanted. Um, so we said, okay, what have we learned here? And what is the macro trends that we are seeing that we could potentially look at applying it for something completely different? And that's what led to clarified.
0: I think it, you've got like this perfect combo. I was talking with Jason Fried about that—the uh, fact that they have usually a programmer and a designer on the uh, on the team—and it was like, why is it not a programmer and a marketer? That's just like the perfect combo that you that anybody could wish for because that's everything uh, programmers talk about on Twitter, like. I'm a solo founder, you know, I know how to do code. Like, I don't know how to sell it. So in your case, and um, I actually read a few uh, of your blog posts before going into this. So I was like, okay, so these guys knew the problem, knew how to build it, knew how to sell it. So, um, you know, it almost looks too easy. But uh, like you said, it, was, it wasn't it was an overnight success, obviously. So, it wasn't, um, it
1: wasn't too- yeah, yeah. It, it, just for timelines, right? So we started, it was actually Ashu joined us in 2018. So Ashu used to be at uh, Meta. He moved back to India and this was through a common friend. I got connected to Ashu and said, look, we are really building, we focusing on this new thing called Clariceites. We want to build it out. Will you come in and join us? And he joined in 2018. If I forget my time. Right? So that's when, that's pretty much the point in which when we started working on Clariceites.
0: Okay, that's why the the birth date is twenty eighteen. Yes. Okay, but it actually started before
1: that. that. That's when we okay. completely pivoted and said, okay, this is the learnings that we have. This is what we learned, and we're going to start this new company up.
0: Okay, all right. So, did you go and validate the idea somehow, or you thought, you know, we had it, we know the problem, we know it exists, we know it's big enough. Uh, that's what we're building. We're not going to like uh, test every single thing and just, just come out with a uh, Scrappy MVP. We're actually building uh, the whole thing.
1: Oh, no, 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 no. We we tested it out, we tested it out. We constantly tested it out uh, because I, yeah, I think I have a background in this space. Ankur has background in engineering and he actually worked in Google Ads as well. Ashu worked, uh, you know, he was exposed to Facebook ads. He used to work at this company called Rocket Fuel before that. So we knew. Uh, but I would say that for a startup, for a founders to assume that they know everything is not a good thing at all. And you want to be able to test it out with market, right? Uh, you know, there's this interesting piece about my son asking me once that, if you're a CEO, who's your boss? And I told him, my boss is my customer. Right. And uh, so the customer is the one who's going to pay the money. Right. He's right. Uh, he or she is the one who's going to decide if whatever you are have in your head does it actually make sense. So I needed to test it out and I needed to test it out quickly. Right? Um, I had a hypothesis, but I need to test that hypothesis with with an audience. Just as when you're a marketer, you need to test out your hypothesis with a customer who's willing to click on your ad and buy, make a purchase or not. If they don't, then your ad did not work. Uh, so the same thing, right? Same thing with the B2B product. If you're selling it to an audience, you need to know if they're willing to, if this is a big enough problem. One of the things that I wanted to correct with advice when I started working with claricides is not be dependent on a market or a region. So advice was built in India. It was built for an Indian car. Uh, you know, I was selling to Indian customers. I kind of knew about it because I worked in, in that market. And there was very clear, Ankur and I were very clear when we were working on Clarissa, we want to build it for, for the world. And that's actually, you know, further on, we'll talk about what brought me to Berlin. But one of my early, you know, uh, friends or partners that I worked with when I used to work at this company called Hostel world, um, is this gentleman called Attila. And Attila now works at uh, Zalando now. And he and I I had reached out I reached out to Attila saying that, hey, I'm I'm working on this reporting problem for marketers. Uh and Attila was you know working at an agency called Infectious Media, it was a managing director there. I said, You and I worked when I was at Hostel World. Can I talk to you for feedback on what we're building? He said, Yes, this is a problem. It's a problem that is continuing to grow and it's an issue. I'm happy to give you feedback. So I, I and I think founders, when they're working on something, they should really, if there is, I think no advice is binary. Startup advice should not be binary, but this is definitely something I would recommend is to go and get help, right? Go and get mentors who you can trust to get your feedback, iterate, et cetera. It doesn't always need to be just with a customer. You also want to be able to validate and build some hypothesis around. So having someone to help was very, very helpful for me personally, right? So having Attila there and what Attila did for us is he validated this idea that the problem is worth solving. And he started connecting me with a bunch of friends, right? Uh, You know, to get feedback, to test it out, et cetera. And that was very, very valuable for us to get out an MVP that we could take out to actual customers and share it with them.
0: Right. Okay. And from the first stage, did you rely on... Uh, sales and demo calls and meetings? Because right now, as far as I know, you don't really have self-serve onboarding, right? You do have a sales team, and everyone goes through through a demo call. So why did you make this choice? And is there in the future maybe a plan to focus more on
1: PLG? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I think Initially, when we started working on this idea, right, of cloud sites, we thought this is going to be a problem for small companies. Where small companies, you're, you'd are you have one or two marketers running ads on Facebook, Google, etc. Uh, they don't have anything better than a spreadsheet to report on, right? They need something. And we figured that that is probably the audience that we are building with. That was our initial hypothesis, right? And we thought that large companies who already have a dedicated BI team, you know, you have a BI team that is responsible for building dashboards, et cetera, might not actually need something like Clarice. That. That, that was our initial theory. So we started off saying that, hey, let's work with the smaller ties. So we were actually working on making it very intuitive for someone to come in and use it. Right? But it was after Attila's introductions to, you know, someone from Delivery Hero, which even back then was massive. And this is a person, I will never forget him. I, I continue to work with him at this date in different organizations. He's Filippo, Filippo Galignani, and he was running, he was the VP of Performance Marketing at Delivery Hero and a close friend of Aquila's. And he connected me with Filippo and said, Hey, you should validate this idea with Filippo. They will never buy your product. They will not need this product, but they can at least give you feedback on it. Right. And this is, this is literally his words. And when I spoke to Filippo for the first time, he said the exact same thing. I'll never buy a product, right? I, I just want to set the expectation. Uh, it's another story that three months later, they were our customers, but this is how it started actually. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and what I learned talking to Filippo and learning the problems with Filippo is that in large companies, you outgrow BI dashboards. You outgrow what BI is able to give you on a day to day basis. And that's when you need something like Claraset, like something that is actually purpose built for marketing reporting, Um at scale is what you kind of need for, uh, for this. And they kind of taught us, working with them taught us what big company problems are because we will, we can't dog food our product, right? We will never run a food delivery business. We will not know what are the problems in running this, what kind of marketing strategies that you have. You need to evolve when you're operating in 40 different markets. That is when we took the call that, you know, this is a big company problem. This is not a small company problem right now. So let's focus on building it with our customers if you want to dog food it. And that's when we decided to not focus on PLG, not focus on self service. There might be a, a case for that in the future, but if you want to build with your customers, then your best chance is building with the large enterprises and building with them. That was Delivery Hero. That was Fresh. That were companies like that. And uh, yeah, that that was a call that we took. And in hindsight, I would say that you can ask, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm speaking for all the Ankur and Asho as well. This is the right thing to do. Because okay, this okay. is the space where I don't think there was competition. No one is really actively focusing on the enterprise marketing team, really being savvy with data and wanting something better than BI dashboard.
0: Okay, interesting. But coming back to uh, a delivery hero situation. So first of all, um, right. that's two companies already telling you, you know, uh, we will validate it, but we'll never buy it. Uh, how to right. how to live with that, basically, as a founder, you know, you're building this thing. And obviously, you have to be open minded and like be ready to pivot at some point, maybe right. Uh, and not a lot of products go to market as they were intended but hmm. um so how did you deal with that with the the first rejections and um how did you win them at the end
1: so i think as a founder you have to be prepared for rejection i think there's no other way out right so you're constantly fighting an uphill battle to get talent to recruit talent to recruit customers to get investors to buy into what you're building right? So if you can't handle rejection, then I think you shouldn't start a company that's just kind of how I see it because you're constantly going to get that. You will constantly lose deals uh, when you're trying to get there, et cetera. But I, I took a, uh, and as a, for me, and I think that's actually helped me in sales quite a bit. Right? I started telling customers proactively when I started reaching out to them for feedback that I don't want to sell anything to you, right? I just want your time. I don't want your money. Can you, that is more important for me when I'm starting up, right? Can you give me feedback on what you're building? Because I will never be able to replicate your problems within the company and to dog food, my own product, right? So I really need to build with you. So are you open to giving me feedback? Which is kind of what I told Filippo, And then he saw the product, right? He saw what the product was. He could saw what the, the opportunity could be for him and his team if Clariceites could work for them, right? And I would okay. say that he saw that opportunity before I could uh, as a founder, right? So he was able to kind of say that, no, I can actually do a lot of things with this. Do you think you can make it work at our scale? All right. Right. And that gave us the direction from the engineering side to say, okay, we need to build a product that can handle the scale of Delivery Hero. right? right. And a company that is at a third in operating in 40 different markets with multiple brands with, you know, 400, 500 people logging in every day to using the platform. That's a a complete new set of challenges that we had never thought about when we initially started. And that made us a better product that made us a better company. And um, that's how we actually won them over. We said we are committed to making this work. We are not going to, talk about 50 new customers, 50 other customers. But we we took that call that if a delivery hero is, who's extremely sophisticated with data and marketing has a use case that we can solve, we can. I'm pretty sure we could find 100, 200, 300 more customers eventually once we solve it for delivery hero, right? And so that focus to say that let me run a POC with them, let me get the commitment to run the POC, And then we will see if there is an opportunity, they will probably buy it. Because large companies don't give you their time. And if they're giving you their time, then they will give you their money, right? But if you ask for the money first, then you will not get anything. So that's just kind of how I thought about it.
0: Looking for new ways to find customers for your SaaS business? Consider adding an affiliate or customer referral program. Rewardful is the easiest affiliate tracking platform to set up, manage and scale for sales companies. Lock your customer acquisition cost and only pay based on results. Integrate Rewardful with your Stripe or Paddle account and set up your affiliate campaigns in minutes. Rewardful automatically tracks referrals, calculates commissions, handles upgrades and downgrades, all seamlessly in the background, whether you sell one-off purchases or recurring subscriptions. Companies like Podia, Copy.ai, Bearmetrics, Synthesia, and many, many more are already using Rewardful to add that sweet, sweet MRR to their businesses. Sign up now at Rewardful.com for a free 14 day trial and turn your biggest fans into your best marketers. Right. Okay. So it's interesting that you said, you know, Delivery Hero was kind of your starting point and that's a great starting point, but that's also a huge company that you also promised to build a product for, right? Uh, is there a risk or maybe were you afraid that at some point you're just going to, to be a product for? delivery here, or that they will maybe eventually buy to, you know, to merge with everything else they're doing. Um, How did you balance this, uh, that obviously, you you didn't, I would assume, you didn't turn uh, other customers around, right, saying, you know, you're not 500 people, you're not big enough for us, right, you obviously have smaller customers. So how do you Navigate this uh, product roadmap so everybody's happy. Because I would again think that some features that you built for Deliver Hero, um, someone like I don't know, Get Rewardful, or some other brands that that SaaS group has, for example, uh, we wouldn't need.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great question because we actually had a couple of early paying customers just before we got Deliver Hero, right? Smaller customers, etc. So with the smaller customers, I think we built out some one version of, you know, alpha version of what the product could be, right? Um, and now as founders, one of the things that I think you want to s- constantly start building your principles in your head. That what are the principles of this product? How does it work? What are the problems that you're solving? And you constantly, using the, on those principles, you build on it as you get more and more market context and customer context, right? So, I kept that up thankfully, right? That even when DH would, uh, deliver Hero would come in and ask for certain things, hey, I want this, you want to add this, et cetera. You, you want to check that with your principles that you set out. Can this be a product or is it a service? Is it a service today, but can be a product three months out as I get time to build it properly? And then if you constantly ba- are balancing that in your head and you're thinking about it, That is just going to be a custom request that only Deliver Hero needs, or is are they asking something that can be a problem for a lot of customers? And as long as you are balancing that in your head and working through things and figuring out okay what is right now a problem and what can be something that I can actually solve very well with product and take it to HelloFresh later on about you. These are also customers of ours, right? Uh, And I would say. About You, HelloFresh and Delviri Hero kind of shaped the product up in the early days, right? And the fact that we've been able to get customers across verticals, across regions, product categories tells us that we actually did a good job of that. We were not stuck with building a product just for DH. We were able to actually productize that enough to be able to do it. Um, yeah, so this is, I think, how I would balance that out. You're You're constantly figuring out are they asking for a custom service request or is it a product request? And as long as you're thinking about it, saying that maybe it is a service request today, but it can be a product request in three months that I can actually solve the product. I think you're okay.
0: All right. Okay. That makes sense. That's a great answer. Uh, all right. So since you started talking about the, the customers that you already have, it's yeah about you, delivery hero, HelloFresh, those are really big names uh, in Germany, I mean worldwide too, but, but mostly in Germany, right? Was there any idea from the beginning when you like got a uh, delivery hero, like let's go after other German companies. And are you planning to expand this and go further after the U S market?
1: Yeah, that yeah, has to be, we, we also work with Uber, uh, globally now. So that's actually, so it started getting traction in the U S market as well. Okay. and. Uh, again, I think I had no uh, background or I had actually never been to Germany until I came here to visit Deliver Hero, right? So there was no support system. There is no founders like you have in in the Bay Area of Indian founders going out there and building it out. But I cared more about building it with the customers than other founders at the back then, right? So I said, Deliver Hero has kind of taken a chance on us. We need to make sure that we make it work for them before we look at others. And I think maybe this has been that other insight or uh, that we were able to build an abstraction that what we are seeing in the German market is not specific to the German market, right? These are companies who are using Google, Meta, Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter. These are global products. They're there in the US, they're there in Canada, they're working in other markets as well. And the problems that they are facing with this data and these channels is not specific to Germany. It's not specific to Europe. But we can learn with them, build the product out, and then go to the U.S. market. Then we can go to these other markets. Should be no problem at all. That actually turned out to be true in hindsight as well. right? So I wanted to be here so that I could actually build the first version of the product with them. But that Mm. also helped us grow to other markets.
0: Okay. And since, again, you started talking about growth, you went to raise some funds. Why did you decide to do that? What were the reasons for it? And what were your maybe challenges
1: with it? Sure. Well, again, I think, I mean, other VCs have talked about it. Uh, I think Jason Lipkin talked about, uh, he's probably the god of SaaS fundraising, etc., cetera, yeah. right, with faster and stuff. Uh, the thing with, when we realize that we are building with enterprises, for enterprises, and that's going to be our beachhead market that we're going to start with, it is fairly clear that it's going to take us time. It's going to take us time to shape the product. It is going to, you don't want to rush to too many new customers at the same time, unless you can service your first initial customers well. Which means that the revenue is not going to be funding your development. The revenue is not going to be funding growth, right? So you need to raise capital to be able to do that. Uh, and one aspect that, uh, otherwise, you, you won't be able to deliver on the product. You won't. You will take shortcuts on the product. You will make mistakes there, and you don't want to be doing that with enterprise customers. Right? So, um, and I, I knew then that we needed to raise capital to be able to do this. So. Bootstrapping was not an option, right? So when bootstrapping was not an option, we wanted to get this out. Uh, what actually worked for us is we started getting interest from a couple of Indian VCs, right? Saying that, okay, this looks interesting. You know, uh, Indian SaaS is actually very, very big. Indian SaaS ecosystem is very big. And so there is, and yeah, and there is a, an appreciation and understanding of that even though I was based, all of us were based in Bangalore back then, I was traveling for Denver Hero, but I had not moved at that point. Uh, so I started getting interest, started getting interest, got a term sheet, couple of term sheets actually back then. And, but when we were closing, we also ended up uh, taking up Textas, Textas in Berlin at SAP Accelerators. Right? And through that, we also got connected to a lot of European VCs. And uh that is the point in which we had Signals, Venture Capital, uh, who offered us a term sheet, talked to us, looked at what we're building, and said, okay, this looks interesting. You're already talking and selling to German companies. uh, We are interested in this, and then they made an offer, right? So that's kind of how that thing came out. And I had this, Ankur and I had pretty much decided back then that I I am going to make the move to Berlin because I wanted to build it with customers. And we figured that as a first time, you know, a founder moving to Germany, getting a VC who's already established in Germany, in Berlin is actually very helpful. So we raced from signals venture capital, cavalry was the, the other VC who joined there and a bunch of great angels like Jens Latinsky and others who joined. Um, yeah, so that is the story for a seed round.
0: Okay. All right. So, um, th- that makes complete sense, but you know, at Salesforce, we, um, when we talk about the, like the companies that that we buy, uh, we say like, we prefer bootstrap companies, but at the same time, you know, if you've raised, but kind of preserved that bootstrap mindset, uh, you know, you, you're still very cautious about your spending, you know, obviously investors give you money. They want it that they want it to be spent right they want to see growth they want you uh to go mm-hmm. out there and and find the people you know to, to pay to 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 help you take it to the next level uh, but uh how do you approach it because you also raised in 2021 when it was quote unquote easier uh now uh, yes. it's uh yeah um it's, it's a bit of a different market right now. Uh, so profitability now is, is very important again. So how do you approach um, your investment? And um, how do you build this relationship with your investors um, at this stage?
1: Unfortunately, sure. well, one of the things that we did, Anna, is we were quite careful, even after the venture money was in, uh we were not the, I would say, someone as founders who would spend on everything, every angle or every aspect, right? Let's do sales, let's hire a bunch of people, let's do, you know, everything. So we were very focused and we said the initial focus of the seed round was to build the product out. So all the, you know, the focus of that funding was to make sure that we could build out a high quality engineering team to build the product out. And I was also fairly careful that I'm going to be the one doing the growth in the initial days, because unless I know how to sell this, I can't be useful to, you you know, a sales team or a marketing team or anything else that we've built out to accelerate that, especially because we didn't have direct competitors. We still probably don't have direct competitors in what we do. Right. And, uh, in, in the niche niche that we picked which is enterprise companies with a lot of data lots of this one that, that's kind of what we picked and there we were clear that uh, there is there's a lot of space and in that space we realized that you know what it's important for a founder to go in and sell take the product out with market reaction market research and then con- constantly bring that in so when we raise a seed round we're very careful about it and say that you know we're going to use that venture capital to build out the focus that we set for the company, which was actually to build the product, right? So when we raised in 21, we were actually very close to uh, operational break even when we did that, so right? And we took that, uh, you know, the second round of funding, our series A, with Sequoia was largely because of the fact that, okay, we, we know the product that we want to build. We want to continue to build the product. And we also want to start focusing on growth at the same time. And that was the point that we said we were going to raise. And even after we raised a series A, we were actually fairly cautious about, uh, you know, where we're going to deploy that capital. And I would say in hindsight that considering what happened in the market since then, we've been, we've been uh, proven right, I think. All
0: right, that that's great. So uh, because you started talking about competition, uh, I would actually assume that, you know, since you went uh, after these big companies, I'm sure they, they had something there, right? They, they needed to visualize their data, they needed to uh, bring all that marketing information somewhere, right? They, they probably used some internal right. tools, there is, you know, Looker, Tableau, yes. uh, anything, yes. right? So right. Um, how did you know that, that there is a space? for for clary size, uh sure. how did you know that you sure. know they are going to move from those to you
1: exactly so i think yeah uh now delivery here right so if you were to take that back to that uh, example they're very savvy they have a really high quality engineering team they have uh access to capital they could you know now if and they were using uh, Tableau right back then. They were using Tableau for Flashlist, etc. Now, the insight that we got is we're not replacing tools so much, but we're changing the workflow. Right? Now, the one foundational problem with the reason why marketers keep going back to spreadsheets is when you're using something like a Tableau and Looker, which is owned and operated by the data team, by the BI team, you get very limited self-service capabilities because you have to go to the BI team and the data team anytime you want to make changes to data, look at data in a different way, add a new metric or a new dimension. You have to constantly go to the data team to make changes to that. Now, and that adds a lot of maintenance work to the data team, that every time marketing wants a request, they would raise a Jira ticket, wait for someone who can make that change in the data warehouse, surface that change on a looker dashboard and then give it to the marketer. Now, the part about performance marketing is you constantly keep doing a series of experiments to test out new ideas, new theories, etc. And that means that you can't predict the kind of reports that you need, the kind of insights that you would need, which means that you're constantly backlogged from the BI team are having to answer every request that comes from marketers. And that is what we set out to solve, right? And we said, okay, this is the problem that we're going to solve. We're going to make this self-service for the marketing team to be able to do. And to your point, yes, we are replacing Looker for that, but replacing Looker was not the uh, problem that we wanted to solve. We wanted the marketers to be more self-service and we wanted to give time back to the data team to do other quality work that they never get to because they're constantly getting requests from marketing teams for additional data points, et cetera, right? And that is what we found out that, you know, when you're, if, a product could have solved this problem, Delivery Hero would have already bought it or would have solved it. The fact that they could not and solve it is kind of testament that, okay, this is a completely new problem, and you can't solve this by replacing Tableau with Looker or Looker with some other BI solution because this is a problem of the workflow that marketers have that they have to go to the data team every time they need to make a change. And that is a part that we wanted to solve. Which okay. again, Anna, comes back to the principles, right? So if you understand the principle is that I want a marketing team self-service and not being constrained by data team. Uh, and then you see, can that be solved by replacing a Tableau with a Looker or something else? Probably not. And then you know that this is a unique proposition in the market and that we're out there. Um, okay. And I, I think it is also one very interesting customer insight uh, when I wrote a note to a customer They came back and saying, "Okay, I have Looker and Tableau, but are you telling me that if I want to find out, get some insights about a new business, I don't need to think about what is an inner join, what is an outer join, what is an N plus one query. And I can just come in, look at your platform and do this by by myself. I said, yes, this is exactly what you want. And that is in a foundationally part what the problem that we are going out there to solve
0: okay all right so it's a bit it's a bit deeper than than just uh you know you're not very happy with your product let's let's get to another one exactly okay exactly um so one more question is about your customer communication and we've mm-hmm. already talked about the, the fact that you rely on demo codes and um you know the, the whole sales process uh to actually sell the product but then you've got this slack community uh, mm-hmm. For your customers, and uh, that was very interesting to me because I would assume that, uh, you know, when somebody makes a decision about buying your product, it's it's probably uh, someone I don't know a, a manager, a director, head of marketing, CMO, whatever. Head of data.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. So who who is on Slack? Who Uh, Who do you talk to and, uh, you know, why did you decide to have this kind of community in the first place? Who moderates it? You know, what kind of questions, what kind of insights are you looking for there?
1: Sure. You know, I would say this uh, Slack community is an extension of an earlier part of this. We actually have Slack channels with all our customers. Slack or teams with every customer that we do as part of this one that we are. And that has been incredibly valuable for us because, uh, and this just comes back to the first part, we do a demo call with them and the demo call is not so much to give a demo of Gladys but mostly to understand, can we solve a problem for our customers first? And so to get to a common state where you're saying, okay, if this is your workflow, this is what you do right now, can we actively go and solve your problem with you? And because it's a product that is kind of built with the customers, we want to be careful that to not to solve something for a customer when we don't have a product for them or for that use case. The value of our Slack group, right, is we sell to the head of marketing and the head of data, but our end users are people in performance marketing teams like paid social, affiliate, SEM, et cetera. And each of these teams have slightly different use cases which are overlapping, but are also unique in their own sense, right? That um, you would be looking at keyword-level data when you're running ads on uh, Google search. But if you're on DV360, which is Google's display network, you're looking at creative-level reports, which are different for that. So each of these teams have slightly different use cases that they want to get. Uh, ask you questions about, hey, how do I build this out? Can I see this in my data? Can I build this in my report, et cetera. Now... And we want to have that communication with them to take any kind of feedback that we're getting, add it to the product roadmap, et cetera, very quickly and proactively. And so this became very clear for us after we onboarded DelVe Hero, because DelVe Hero operates in, like I said, multiple markets. And now you suddenly have 400, 500 people within the organization all using CloudSites. So we can't do one on one direct support. But we want to be able to get any kind of frustration or complaints or feedback quickly. And that's when the Slack is a great way to kind of scale that. Right? So Right? You get them in, get them into that group, have our customer success and product teams in that Slack channel working with the customers to build that out and getting that feedback and taking it out there. And now to have that Slack community across is to, Proactively get feedback from our customers saying that hey, this is what we're thinking of adding into the product. Can you tell us if we are on the right track here? Uh, and yeah, and that's been very, very helpful, right? So to your point, yes, the decision maker that we pitch to would be a director of performance marketing, head of data, marketing intelligence team, etc. But we want to also constantly build for the people who are logging in every day on Claritas and using it. And this is your larger team, and we want to have that communication directly one on one with them
0: yeah, okay. I think that's a great idea because then people see i would think it has some kind of public chat right where people can actually yep. see what others are struggling with, and you know see if they're not exactly. the, the only ones that yeah they have this uh this problem. I think that's super helpful, like sharing the knowledge with yeah with other teams with other people that also work on this. It's a brilliant idea. All right. So just a couple more questions. And uh, first one is, could you share your ultimate business hack, something that you always come back to, whether it is, you know, how to uh, communicate with your VCs or your customers or build a product, how to um, prioritize features, or anything that you constantly uh keep coming back to when it works
1: uh and said, there is this indian term called jugad uh you know there's, there's this is you know,
0: what does it mean
1: i, I i'll explain to you in a second so this is basically <laughs> um i would say maybe the easiest english translation is a hack right so this yeah. is when okay. if, you know you you apply a hack and then you figure it out, right? It's like, uh you don't have the perfect solution from day one, but you will figure out some way to solve the problem today. It's brittle, it's going to break, but it will help you test it out. It will test something out, right? And I think you want to have that in your head. So you want to have a hypothesis that you want to test, right? Be it sales, be it customer success, be it uh, marketing, be it product. And... uh You don't want to just wait for all the information before you make and, you know, build something out, right? So you want to be able to take it out there. Now, the one challenge that I've seen is for a lot of things you want to, there is a barrier that you need to have a high enough quality in the product for a customer to tell you that, okay, this is moving the needle for me and I want it, right? Uh, So you don't want to be too scrappy with it. And you want to know what is the delta that you need to hit to be able to get there, right? Uh, And you also want to figure out, you know, what is an expensive piece of, you know, context. Like you don't want to go to the CPO of a very large company and not be prepared about what do you want to get out of that meeting, right? You're not going to get another meeting if you screw that up. So that preparation and work that you want to do before you get into that and build a hypothesis is absolutely critical. And I think that is needed for any kind of customer communication, be it sales, be it uh, customer success, anything like that. You want to go into those with some level of hypothesis and also share with the customer that, you know, I don't have everything, right? And being transparent, like, this is what I know. I don't know this, but can you help me through that? So being vulnerable is, I would say, important. It's kind of worked out for us, right? And saying that, look, um, uh, we want to solve this problem, we are committed to it, but in any kind of conversation, tell them that, look, I haven't figured everything out. Uh, you know, having that is, is being helpful um, Okay. because a lot of the things that we did as a company and things that I've done personally have been for the first time, uh, and it can get intimidating when you do something for the first time and when the odds are very high, But taking the time to prepare building some kind of hypothesis and actually doing that work. It's it kind of worked out for us.
0: Yeah. Okay. I was just yesterday reading a post on, on LinkedIn about th- something like this. So, uh, I'm, I don't remember who, uh, who wrote it, but it was about a company that was struggling and everyone kind of knew that something was going on. So he reached out to do a piece about it and, Uh, they wrote back that, you know, everything's great, nothing happened, we're cool. And he was so disappointed. He's like, but people want, you know, want everything. They want transparency, they want honesty. And I kind of understand both sides, like uh, founders, other founders, they want transparency. They want to see, you know, other people are also struggling with that. Uh, You know, I'm Mm -hmm. not the only one and there are products that are on the market, but they also have some challenges. But I can also understand them from their point of view, um, because they don't want to show it to the customers. You know, maybe it's, this is the scary bit, like your customers are going to know that something's not working. And because they're trusting you with your data, with, sorry, with their data, uh, they may feel a bit uneasy about that. You know, today it's this thing that's not going great, tomorrow it's something else. So. How can I make sure that you know in a week you're not going down completely? So it's kind of a a balancing act again. So how to yeah. uh, how to be vulnerable but not you know scare anyone off?
1: and uh, so I think there's uh, that. I mean, I'm not saying anything new here. It's that early adopter part, right? That early adopter who are your early adopters. So your late majority, etc. Let's say, you know, I go back to Philippo, right? He took a chance on us. It could have, we could have ended up being an absolute disaster. He decided to move deliver Heroes reporting to claricide and then we could have completely failed, right? And that would have reflected on him. That would have reflected on him, the chance that he took. But I think what he saw is that if this works. I like the upside that comes with it. It changes the way we work with data. It changes the speed at which we take insights, right? And he saw that upside at that opportunity, and then he decided that, you know, I'm going to take that. So you just need, if you're working, selling to enterprises, you need two or three people who see that upside and take a chance with you, right? I think that's just how it how I would say it, right? If If we're not taking the chance, we wouldn't be. But you need someone okay. to take a chance.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. So, you, so uh, in, in
1: a sense, I would say that the founders need to be optimist and some of your early customers also need to be optimist.
0: <laughs> That's so, true. That's true, Right. You just need a few real fans to, to move the needle to, and you know, to, to go to the next level. Okay. And, uh, the last question is the usual question. Uh, what is so far, the biggest win and the biggest failure?
1: I think we had a couple of acquisition offers before even our seed round. Right? Just before our seed round, after we closed in with, you know, someone wanted to acquire us later on. And I would say the biggest win has been building a product that people like and they really care about right? that for us has been the biggest win. Uh, that is something that we missed when, uh, yeah, fundraising is nice, getting validation is nice from people, etc. But for me, I would say that the two most valuable things for me is when a customer comes in and says, you change the way we work with data, right? Something that is taking me weeks, I can do it in a click right now, right? That That is incredibly satisfying. And maybe that's the reason why I don't move away from sales, because to be able to see that experience, go through that experience constantly is very rewarding. I, I think the other rewarding part is when you see your uh, early teammates, your, uh, the team that you built, right? And you see their growth and you see their growth in the company and then you see that, okay, they took a chance on us. They took a chance on me and Ankur and Ashu and they've grown because of that, right? They've grown. They've learned so many new things. That is incredibly rewarding as a founder, right? That some idea that you worked on has been so impactful for a customer and so impactful for the team that you hired, that they got to grow as part of that. And you played a part in that has been very rewarding for me. That would be, I would say, the biggest win. Um, That's perfect. I I don't think it's... it's and, And the good thing about this is this is a win that I constantly get to feel repeatedly. It's not something that has just happened once. Uh, and as long as that's happening, that's that's nice.
0: What about the was, failure? Was there any?
1: Sometimes you wish that you can move things faster than it takes, and when you when you don't see that happen as fast as you want, that can get disappointing. Uh, it hurts me because you know we, we know large customers are depending on us. So when you don't constantly involve them then it's it's something that uh that i take to heart quite a bit and it's not just me i would say the larger team as well yeah yeah i I can't think of anything else right oh well that's
0: perfect (laughs) you know no fortunately i mean congrats this is (laughs) this is good i mean uh just having this anxiety of moving forward i think it's very Uh, It's a very founder thing. It's very marketer thing. I mean, when I don't see graphs go up all the time or go up as fast as I want them, I'm also very disappointed. So I could, you know, I could only imagine what you feel because you have uh, everything at stake. But perfect. I think uh, there's great answers. And I wish uh, you stay. As long as possible without having to answer the biggest failure question. So, <laughs> yeah. thanks so much. <laughs> thank you so much, Arun. It's been incredible talking with you. I hope we can do it again sometime. And I'm really excited to see yeah, where Clarice is. Thank lands. you so much.
1: I had I had a great time. Thank you. you
0: thank you. Take care.
1: Thanks. So Bye.
0: That was yet another awesome conversation on SAS Unbound. We're always looking for new guests to share their experiences. We mostly talk with bootstrapped SaaS founders, and if you're one, reach out to me directly at anna.sas.group or find me on LinkedIn. If you're not bootstrapped or even not SaaS but have a great story to tell, we want to hear from you too. And obviously, SaaS Unbound wouldn't be possible without the SaaS Group, a founder-friendly private equity company that buys awesome businesses that people love to take them to even greater success. If you're thinking about selling your company or just exploring your options, feel free to visit SaaS.group, fill in the form and expect a response in under 24 hours.